Father, we thank you for your grace and your presence. Lord, I pray that every heart in here is able to hear your voice. Lord, I pray for your majesty to be revealed in your word. That your son would be manifested, received, glorified, demonstrated and released to this nation, to this world, to these people. We thank you, Father, for your power over every circumstance and situation. We thank you that there is not one person here that does not possess the fullness of your heart. Help us to access the thing you've been giving us, Lord, on the cross, the things that you've delivered to us by the great sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Help us to live kingdom reality in this modern existence, Lord. Let your word be true in and through in the flesh and bone of these people. As we lift you up, Father, we thank you, we praise you, we honor you, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. If, uh, if you guys want to... Um, Send your children back, as long as they feel well, to the uh, Sunday school. You're welcome to do that. You can keep them here with you. There's, you don't have to do that. You can, you're free to do whatever you feel you need to do. It's good to see you guys, to be with you all again. It feels like it's been a while. Amen. <laughs> the closer a family gets together, a little bit that they're apart feels like forever. So, um, I love being in the house of God with the people of the Lord. You guys are so precious. Um, before I get started, I, re I really want to reiterate that the power of God is for you. The way we do church today is not what God ultimately intended. You are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Coming to church once a week doesn't make you a Christian. <laughs> um much less than hanging out in a hospital makes you a doctor. Geographics don't do anything for you. What makes you a believer in Jesus Christ is your faith placed in the blood of God and his DNA put inside your hearts to such a degree that you begin to act, live, and move as he does and as he would if, he was, if your life was his. Does this make sense? Jesus didn't save us just so that we could create an organization. He saved us to embody us so that he could live our life through us because that's what they need out there. The people in the world don't need my theology. They need the presence of Jesus in my life. That's what's going to change them. They don't need your opinions. They need the presence of Jesus, the master in your life. They don't need your um, and my emotional breakdowns. They need Jesus to be real through you. In other words, in that moment that God couldn't be any more real than he, what he would be as if he was real through you to them. There's no difference, even though it seems to have a different face, it bears the same heart. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus, to embody the king. Such a privilege to be able to embody him. The, the king of all glory who measured the sea in the palm of his hand lets us embody his presence in nature. 
It's not something we know that we're delivering to a people who are lost. It's something we've become because he possesses us. Now he possesses them through us. But this cannot happen unless we're based in what he is based in. Does this make sense to you? Jesus did not live his life ping-ponged around by emotion. He lived his life based in the word of his father. That was the reality in which he, be, he gave uh, the context to what it means to be a person of God, to be based in the word. Does this make sense to you? The flesh and bone of Jesus Christ was, is, and always will be the word of God. So how powerful is the word? It supersedes everything, bows to nothing. It stands regardless of all emotional winds and whims of people. The word of God exists for forever before you existed, before your problems existed, before your emotions even had a context of pain. The word was established in righteousness in heaven. The king existed on his throne. Nothing could overtake him. In fact, the devil himself tried, and yet he was cast down. And the son of man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, even told his disciples, I'm the one who saw hell fall from heaven like lightning. I was there when he was put down because the word goes beyond the lie. Rejoice that your name is written where hell cannot touch it. This is what he said. And yet the church today is seeking after signs, wonders, and miracles, all of which are good things. But nothing, nothing surpasses the fact that your name is written in the kingdom of God where the word is established. If you haven't caught on yet, I'm going to talk about the word of God today. <laughs> it's amazing to me how many times I go to places and if I were to have people raise their hands, I won't do that because I don't want to embarrass you. But Christian people, I would ask how many of you have actually ever read the word of God cover to cover and, and usually 70 to 80% do not raise their hands. Usually out of every hundred people, maybe five, maybe 10 have read the word of God in entirety. There was a man who asked his daughter one day, he said, how are you, are you falling in love with the Lord? And she said, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to Jesus as my life goes on. He said, how do you know you're falling more in love with Jesus? She said, because I love his word more every day. And she based her, her love of God for the love of the word. And the love of the word produces a love for people. You with me? See, what Christian people do is they take the word of God and they try to use it like it's a prescription from a doctor instead of the flesh and bone in which they, they were made to be. They pull it out whenever things are hard and difficult and they want to use it and make it work for them, but they want to put it back on the shelf and have it have absolutely nothing to do with the regular life that they want to live. Do you, are you, do you understand what I'm saying? So in other words, we have divorced our life from his life only when it's convenient we want it put back together. See, the Bible says, and I'll get to this verse, the Bible says that you were born again by the word of God. 
You were made new by the word of God. In other words, you were born by Jesus. The word begat the word. The word made you. You are made in his image. He is the word. You are supposed to be the image of the word. Not just a Christian who believes the word. Believing the word is the first part to revealing the word. Does this make sense to you? It's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to manifest it. I can walk up to anybody on the street and say, do you believe the word of God? And they may or may not say yes, but do those same people manifest the word they say they believe? Most of the time, they do not. Christians want to be able to be involved in the world as much as possible, and yet only be involved in the word as as long as it helps them out of their difficulties and trials and, and tribulations. They'll sit down and watch things that Jesus would never sit down and watch, and yet that then something happens and they want to have full access to the power of the word of God in their life. This makes sense to you? Because we're more American than we are Christian, truly. truly. We're more worldly than we are kingdom. You say, well, that's not me. Let me ask you this. How many times do your circumstances get you to believe something that's opposite of the word of God? For example, that your marriage can't be saved or that person can't change or my finances this or I'm never going to be healed from that. How many times do your circumstances dictate who you are whenever who we are is supposed to dictate the circumstance just like it was in Messiah Jesus? You with me? To not love the word of God is to not have full access and apprehension to the very DNA in which God made you to exist in. The word is your life. You were made by him, for him, and for his good pleasure. And just as he exists for forever, and his word never passes away, and our new reality exists for forever, it won't pass away because we're built on that same foundation of the word of God. We were spoken into existence, into Adam, even though we were physically created. What gave us life was the breath of God, the word of God, the mouth of God, the DNA of God, infusing our body. And when we're born again, we're born by the same power and the same word. Why? Because God wants his word to bear flesh. Does he not? The word was made, help me, flesh and what? Dwelt with us. How is the word going to be flesh to the people in the world out there? Unless it is through you. But see, the word doesn't mix itself with a lie. Jesus is the foundation of the word, is he not? Did he ever mix himself with a lie? Ever. That's what made him relevant to the people who were under the lie, is that he didn't mix himself with what they mixed themselves with. You understand what I mean? Most of us don't want to be saved from the water. We just want God to throw us a scuba tank so we can immerse ourselves in it and just be happy with it. We want to to live in the fullness of the power of sin and never feel the... the
Thank you, Tyler. Those guys are good back there. Thank you. Um, so, 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 so many times in the church, especially in the modern era, we want revelation. Revelation makes us feel stimulated. It makes us give us like access to knowledge that, oh, wow, that's really good. I can use that or this or that. And we want to be able to schmooze and impress people with what we know about the word of God or say something that sounds smart when somebody else is suffering. We want revelation. But revelation is this. It's revealing the word of God. Revelation isn't new astonishing information. It's the revealing of, the, of Jesus in a way that nobody's ever seen. We have a book in the Bible called what? Revelation. We, we, we have a, like, oh, that's, that just means the end times and all the stuff that's going to happen in the future that's bad and difficult and hard. No, that's not what Revel- the, the book of Revelation starts with Jesus being revealed to John. He's being revealed in a new way. John sees him in a way that he's never seen him before. Why? Because that's revelation, to see the word of God in a way you've never seen it before. And this country and this nation needs to see the word of God in a way it's never seen before through us. Such a powerful degree of exposure to the word of God that what we're revealing to them completely erases every misuse of the word that's come before us. Because we're infected with it. We're, um, we're amazed by it. We're taking it in. We're drinking it in. We're letting it be our nature. And we're causing our hearts to enlarge itself, making room for more of him. Because we love the word of God. Some of you would do really well to figure out the times and days which you could put some earbuds in and just let the word of God just play and see how much your week changes. Once Jesus has been revealed... Once revelation has happened, that's what we want. We want to come to church and get a good revelation. But you understand, revelation has accountability and requirement. Once revelation has happened, it must be released. How is it going to be released? Do you realize I don't know the people you work with? And if they did know me, they probably wouldn't like me anyway. That's why God put you with them. If we're made to walk in the image of the word of God, which is the image of Jesus Christ, 1 John says, everybody that names the name of Jesus Christ must live as he lived. That one, that, that one verse right there just slays 80% of most Christians. If anybody names the name of Jesus Christ, claims to be a Christian, they have to live the way Messiah Jesus lived. Do we do that? We make excuses and call it modern theology. And then we wonder why there's no power in the church. When's the last time you've got somebody born again? That's the responsibility you have to disciple somebody, to take them under your wing. Does this make sense to you? Why? Because you're made from the same essence that Jesus was made from. You understand this? 
You were born again the same way Jesus was born into this earth by overshadowing of the Spirit of God. This makes sense to you guys. Which means if you have the same beginning, you have the same end. And you have the same destiny in the middle. So if we're made to be in the image of the Word of God, then to walk in unbelief, which is contrary to the Word of God, is to operate in a nature that we were not born for. Do you realize that the Word of God has to operate in faith? Without faith, the Word of God is made of none effect. Do you understand this? Why did Jesus get so upset at his disciples over and over and over again through their unbelief? Because unbelief strips the Word of its ability to be used through you. Unbelief robs God of his investment that he has in you. Unbelief causes us to not be able to be used by the master. And that sacrifice that he gave us was so that we could be used by him. You with me? So unbelief is dangerous because it undermines our own identity. We're born by the word of God. Yet if we are born by the word of God and we're walking in unbelief, we literally are schizophrenic. We are split, which is why so many Christians have to take pills <laughs> because they're operating in something that they were never created to operate in. I mean, mental stability pills. Most of that stuff's caused because we're living so far in unbelief and we're claiming to be born again. And that creates a dichotomy in our spirit. It creates a double mind. And James says this man will be unstable in everything he does. Because a divided house will fall. So Matthew 28, you can go ahead and go there. I was reading this passage and something really stood out to me as I was reading it because of the context in which I was reading it in, the story that it presents itself. Matthew 28, we're going to start in verse 16. This is after Jesus died. He rose again. He's got all power and authority. you got to understand this. This is not pre-cross Jesus. This is post-cross Jesus. This is the one who's coming back. This is the, the, uh, the guy who's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. He's went down to hell already. He's proven his power and his victory over everything in hell and underneath and everything in between. He has the keys of, of, of darkness and of death. There's nothing underneath him. He is the pinnacle of everything that is God at this moment. And he says, verse 16, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus told them to go. So listen, there's an obedience here. They're obeying him. They said, go to this mountain. They go. They're present. Guess who shows up? Jesus does. Next verse. This is amazing to me. I mean, you think he was great before he died? Imagine the power and authority he possessed himself as after he died. In fact, we know snippets of what it probably looked like on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was taken up on that mountain. He was transfigured and his robes were like white lightning and everybody fell down on their faces in fear. This is him. They saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. 
Isn't that crazy? This is the manifest word of God. Not only just the manifest word of God, the conquering word of God. That this word has put everything under its feet. Nothing is above him. Nothing. And they were able to see him. They were able to worship him. But they were able to do it through unbelief. How many times just because you think you sing a worship song that you actually think it's acceptable unto the Lord? You know what pleases God? What, what pleases God? Anybody remember? Without what? It's impossible to please him. It doesn't say without worship, does it? It doesn't say without preaching. It doesn't say without love, right? It says without faith, it's impossible to please him. You can worship him. You can see him but you can still not believe him. Why? Because he is the word. So let me ask you this. How many times in your life throughout your week do you believe something other than what is already written down and you do not let it have access to you and you're trying to see him and you're trying to worship him, but you do not believe what he's already said? Do you realize that most of the battles that you're fighting the devil on, you're still fighting them because you haven't properly used your sword? You're just trying to use your shield? What good is faith without a word that backs it up? What does the shield represent? I'm getting ahead of myself. In Ephesians 6, I'm assuming you guys know this, but let me not assume. In Ephesians 6, what does the shield represent? Faith. What good is a shield? What good is, a, is faith without a word that backs it up? The, the sword of God is the word of the Lord. If I have a sword and you have a shield, I am not intimidated by you. I will eventually wear you down. You can block all the blows that you want but it will not threaten me. You understand this? You were made for the word of God. You were made by the word of God. And just as dependent you were the moment of your inception spiritually, you are just as dependent on that written scripture as you were the day he breathed life into you for the first time. And if you're not as dependent, something inside of you loves this world more than it should. Does this make sense to you? Imagine all the experiences these guys, these guys had with Jesus up to this point. Guys, I mean, these are people who through their own hands cast out demons, healed and touched lepers, raised the dead, did powerful works, and they're sitting here after the cross and, and they don't believe. Why? Here's why they didn't believe. Because what they saw in the death of Jesus... They believed the physical death of Jesus more than the words of his life of resurrection because of what they saw. The crucifixion was so thorough that they did not believe a man could survive that even if he was raised from the dead. 
Let me ask you this. When God allows certain death principles and certain death issues into your life that are so effective that they take all of your faith away and then Jesus himself stands right in the midst of it, you'll be just like them if you don't believe. Because what we see tends to rob us of what we are born from, which is the word of God. Why did they doubt? It wasn't because, listen, they see Jesus, right? But you know what they're seeing more in their mind's eye? His death. They see him on the cross more than they see him right there in his presence. Which one do they believe more? It can't be him. What we saw was too horrible, too painful, too thorough. It can't be him. The same thing happens in our life when we look at our own, our own window of our own soul. We, we see something that's too ugly, too nasty, too horrible, too wretched, too blind, too naked, too, too outcast, too unworthy, too this. And we believe that more than what the word of God says. Or we'll look at our spouse and say, she's too this, he's too that, it's too far gone, blah, 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 blah. And we begin to see the death instead of what God said. And then we don't raise ourselves up into our identity. We lower ourselves into something that he raised himself over. Paul says that he put you on that cross with Jesus. Jesus put himself, he put you on that cross with him. You were, you were tacked to that cross with him. You died with him. You were buried with him and you were raised together with him, which means you don't get to the right to live in an arena in which Jesus doesn't live. And Jesus doesn't live in death anymore. He lives raised in newness of life which means you have the right and the responsibility to live where and how he lives. No matter what you see. You say, well, that's just denying reality when I'm having, facing a problem and just trying to quote the word of God. That's just denying what's real. It's just denying reality. Which reality? That's your problem. You're more familiar with this reality than that one. Because I promise you this, when you die, you will not be concerned with this reality anymore. Yet it has consumed your life. Which reality are you more concerned with? See, you know what? I would rather die believing I'm healed than to get healed and not believe and lose my reward. Why? Because the fact of my healing doesn't respond or need to respond based upon what happens in my body. My spirit man, which who I really am, is never and can never be sick. You with me? Yes. I... I, I I helped a woman go to be with Jesus many, 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 many years ago, and it was horrible. I was young. She had cancer, and we prayed. I mean, I, I was with her for two weeks around the clock. I mean, praying over, fasting, seeking God, speaking scriptures. I mean, we would see crazy things happen. She had all these lumps all in her neck and up her head and every, all the back, and we would pray over her, and these things would all just go away. Just it's, go away. And we tell him, like, man, she's healed. And we would start to praise the Lord, and all of a sudden, it'll all come back, you know. And this went on and went on and went on and went on. And finally, she's like, I'm not going to the doctor. 
She was a nurse. She's like, I'm done. If God doesn't heal me, I'm going home. So she came out to live with us for about two weeks of the last part of her life. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And she, that woman, her faith, she, every day, every day I'm healed. She just believed I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. And she even, as she, the last breath out of her mouth, speaking, I'm healed. And she dies. And I remember going through a very hard mental situation because I was like, God, why didn't you heal her? I don't understand. This is horrible. This is this lady believed she didn't get her healing. And we all look like chumps and fools for believing you. And, and I remember the Lord spoke to me and said, she didn't get her healing. And when God asks you a question, it's because you're wrong. And it's not because you have a good answer. And I began to realize at that moment that she had the crown and the gift of faith of healing and that when she was going to stand before Jesus Christ, she was going to offer that healing to him as a reward unto him because where she was right then and there was completely healed. You say, well, that's a cop out. No, it's not because even if she would have got healed, she still would have died someday anyway and she would not have had that reward. How do you know that? Because Hebrews 11 tells me that. All these people died having not obtained the promise. Yet they were rec it was reckoned to them for righteousness because of what they believed. Abraham had one son. One. And yet he was promised as many as the stars in the sky. Which reality? The Bible says you are children of Abraham, who was right? The word of God. Just because you don't see it in your life doesn't make it an untruth in this life. I know people who have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for their grandkids and then they passed away and 10 years after they passed away, their grandkids finally got saved, never saw the reward, but fully immersed themselves in operating in it. Because faith transcends time when it's it coupled with and embodied to the word of God. You with me? It says in the Bible that Jesus' blood speaks better things than that of Abel. In other words, he's dead and yet alive, yet not here, but his blood still speaks things over your life, even though he's not physically present. Why? Because he's the word of God which means I'm just as eternal as he is. And what I speak in the nature of the spirit born by the word of God is just as eternal as his word. You ever wonder why Jesus said a man's gonna be judged by every idle word that comes out of his mouth? You know why? Because you weren't built for idle words. You were built for the word. Is this making sense to you? Yes. See, I have to go into great lengths and great animation to be able to say this basic one little message. Read your Bible. <laughs> I could have got up here and said, read your Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all be blessed. We'll see y'all after, after a while. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word before you. Imagine that, something actually came before you. I know it's hard for some of you arrogant people to believe 
but something actually came before you. It's amazing. It's, it's a powerful principle. Something predates your opinion. It's amazing. Something has existed beyond your mental faculties. In the beginning was the, the Bible. The word of God, Jesus, the manifest glory of heaven. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word was in the beginning with God. All things were made by the word. Listen, if all things were made by the word, then why are you allowing circumstances that are manipulating the things that were made to override the word that made the things that are of the circumstance? I may have, I don't know, did I lose you on that one? And without the word was nothing made that was made. Nothing was made without the word of God. It's amazing. You see how more real the word is than your emotion? The word created the substance of the chairs you're sitting in that still have a residence even though they're dead. I don't understand that, how rocks and cloth and wood can, that's been cut down and disconnected from its life source can still have a resonance. It has a sound it emits. Why? Because all things are still responding in worship to the word of God that created them except his people. Amazing revelation when you realize that the wind and the waves obey Jesus better than most Christians do. In him, the word was life. In the word is life. In the written word, in your Bible, in the letters on the page, there is life. Why? Because that thing begins to read this thing and then they both go, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And something comes up inside of you because you were made from the words on the page. You understand that? Okay. You know, the psalmist says, the, your word, your son, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Why? Because it says in him was life, and life was the light of men. When you operate out of anything other than the word of God, you are operating in darkness. So if your circumstance says this, and the word says the exact opposite, which one do you walk in? It's the one that you believe the most. Not theologically over coffee with the pastor. It's the one you act on the most. If the word says, don't be afraid, and you are afraid, because you're acting in fear, which one are you walking in? Why? Because you see the circumstance as being bigger than the God you say you worship. Fear can only take place whenever we replace God with the thing we fear.
Listen, if you're afraid of something, I promise you, you're worshiping that thing. If you're afraid of losing something, it means you have an idol set before the Lord. Fear is the worship of something other than the Lord God himself. This is why the Bible says you haven't been given a spirit of fear, a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Why? Because fear destroys your mind. Your mind is what you choose and use to choose what you believe. Make sense? First John 1 John 1.12, or 1, 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, again, which we have heard. Heard what? The word. They heard the word, did they not? You with me? You guys getting bored? We have seen it with our eyes. We've looked upon it. Listen to this. And our hands have handled the word of life. The word was meant to be used, touched, heard, tasted, smelled. It was meant to be sensory to you. God gave his son, his word, for you to be able to personally touch it and handle it. What an honor. And most of us never even read it. That you were given the privilege and the honor to, to handle the word of life. Not the word of death. But you know what? Most Christians handle the word of death, the word of the lie, the word of the compromise, the word of the fear, the word of doubt, the word of unbelief. Why? Because all those things are rooted in how you see yourself, not how God sees you. And you believe that somehow you're not worthy enough for these things and that lying spirit gets in and overshadows the word of God and you begin to walk in darkness and you wonder why things begin to fall apart in your life. And you wonder why there's no joy in the midst of your circumstances and your trials when you know the word says they're supposed to be, so you think the word's wrong instead of you. <laughs> That's why so many people walk away from the Lord. They're like, oh, well, the Bible wasn't true for me. No, if the Bible was true, you just believe the, the wrong thing. God's not going to force you to believe anything. The devil will. Well, God, belief is an option because he's a gentleman. You with me? For life was manifested, verse two. We've sought, we bore witness of it, and we show you that eternal life. Here's what First John's saying. Here's the process. God sent the word. The word changed us. Now we present that word to you. Why is it important for you to be in the scriptures? Because you're reading what God made reality for your existence. And then that existence brings forth that reality in someone else. Because that's how it works. This makes sense to you guys. That this word was with the Father and it was manifested to us and now we manifest it to you. We don't just speak it to you. We show you Jesus by our life. You understand? Father's given you the right to handle and touch the word of God. Hey, you know how, you know how crazy that is? The Hebrew loved, it would just long to see the day where they could even just see the Messiah. And you've been given the words of Jesus, not only on a page, but according to Ezekiel in the new covenant, these things have been written in your heart. The word has been made one with your heart. 
This is why Proverbs says, make sure you keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. Fear, unbelief, doubt, they're not mental things. They're heart issues. They're spirit issues. This makes sense? First Peter 1.23, being born again, not by corruptible human seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which is, it lives and abides forever. You were born again by the word of God, which cannot be corrupted and it exists far beyond your circumstance and your weak little emotions. Do you see the power of the word of God in your life? Yet so many people are distraught and hell bent in their heads on how they feel. I, I never got that. I mean, I, I've experienced it, but it never made sense to me because I was like, you know, even as a heathen, you can sit there and like your emotions will just change. You know, you're having a bad day and then someone takes you to like, I don't know, a theme park and you're riding a roller coaster and you go from, from being depressed to like, woohoo, and then you're, you're depressed again. Emotions are, 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 are fickle. They, they change even without God. And yet we, de we determine everything in our relationships. We determine everything by the world, by the life, by the government, by our family, by, by how we feel or how those things make us feel. <laughs> and it's a complete sham and a lie. And what God wants is people who pick up their swords again and begin to insert it into society and say, no, this is what's real. And I don't care how I feel in the emotional construct of what's going on. I'm, imp I'm impregnating this reality into my existence. And I will stand on it, even if it kills me. Does this make sense? You with me? Yes. yes? Revelation 19, 11, John, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Isn't that amazing? That's his name. Faithful and true to who? Not just generically. Oh, he's generically faithful and true, but that doesn't mean you, right? Faithful and true to who? To you. Faithful and true. That is his name. The word of God is what? Faithful and true. Who is this man? Is it the word of God? Is he the word of God? Yes. What does it say? Whoever sat, he sat upon this horse was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does judge and make war. What makes war for you? The word of God. Some of you are going to battle emotionally psychologically, spiritually, with no sword. Do you know why it's important for God to speak words over you? Because that's your authority over your situation. And if you're listening to a different voice, you have no authority for the circumstance you're actually praying for. It's not, sometimes it's good to take just a word out of scripture, but there's other times when you need to hear God directly, when you need to hear his voice say, this is what I'm commanding you. And you say, oh, okay, now I have something to believe. Now I have a shield to back up this word. And now I'm going to battle. You've got to have a promise to hang on to. 
Again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you can go read Hebrews 11 and all these great people of faith, almost every one of them in that chapter. The reason they stood is because they had a promise. They had a word. God gave them a word. You're going to have this. You're going to do this. You're going to be this. And they said, I believe it. And they held on to it no matter how it made them feel. They held on to it. You need a word over your life. You need God to speak his word to you while you're devouring the scriptures that the Holy Spirit makes one of them just come alive and jump into your heart. And you realize that was not me that just read that. Father just read that over me. And this is my sword. And I will carry this into my next emotional wave and temper tantrum that comes over me. I will use it and believe it. This makes sense. Have you guys ever done that? You've been reading before the word of God, just be reading large chapters and all of a sudden one just jumps out and just nails you right between the eyes. You need to stop reading right then and there. And you need to memorize that verse because that's what God's telling you. And in fact, the next battle that you're about to face will be in context to that scripture. And you could almost prophetically begin to tell what the enemy's going to do based upon the promises God's going to give you. Why? Because the word always brings conflict. Go read the parables of Jesus. When the persecution arises for the word's sake, these people fell away. When God speaks a word over you, the enemy wants to destroy it, to kill it, to steal it, or for you to abort it. Doesn't matter how he gets rid of it. He just wants it gone because within that word is the seed of promise for victory and his glory in your circumstances. Sadly, most of the time, Christians do the work of the enemy for him. You wonder why abortion is so rampant in our culture? Because it represents what we're spiritually doing to the word of God in our hearts. It's a sign to our generation that we have aborted what God intends to grow and to grow up. You, are you with me, guys? The Lord, the, the Lord and the word making war over your heart. His eyes were a flame of fire. The word is a what? A flame of fire. What survives fire? Nothing. Nothing of earth can survive fire. In fact, that's why God's going to burn the earth in the end. It'll all be destroyed. The word of God is a fire. On his head are many crowns, authority, victory. Crowns represent rulership. Many crowns, not just one. That means he owns authority over everything. The word has authority over every nation, not just geographically, but spiritually. Over every gift, over every calling, over every person, over every personality, over every heart, over every sickness, every disease. That's why he has many crowns. Why? Because he's proven his authority. The word has authority over everything in your life. Half the time of our Christian existence, God's just waiting for us to believe what he's, what he's already spoken. And many of us wait 10, 20, 30 years to finally tap into something he intended to do 15 years ago.
Does it make sense? His clothing was a, a vesture. His clothing dipped in blood. What is blood? It's life. The word is clothed in life and power and DNA. And we're clothed in the same DNA. You see the power in which when the power of agreement, when we come into agreement with the father and his word, you say, well, I don't see it right away. That doesn't mean it's not true. We need such a selfless generation that she'll believe the word of God, even if she doesn't see it, that she'll hold on to it for her children. She'll hold on to it for her grandchildren. She'll hold on to it for her grandchildren's children. Why? Because she read the word of God and she said that the blessing of God would come on a generation to the hundredth generation so that she knows that what she's professing, what she's living, what she's praying, what she's speaking is not just for her. It's for those coming after her because she's eternal, just like the father who bore her. So many times you get caught up in the selfishness of your life. Well, I don't see it for me. Who says it was for you? Maybe God's giving you a promise because he wants you to impregnate the nation for the thing that's coming after you. Well, I don't like that. That's not, that's not fun for me. Who said it was about you? Show me a scripture where, where, where it's all about you. It was read this morning in Revelation 4.11. We were created for his glory and for his pleasure, all things were created and made. Not yours. The fact that people come into churches and are like, well, I don't like that preacher. I don't like that worship. I'm sorry. You, you put yourself as king and God above, above everything and you think everything has to revolve around your opinion. That's what, the, that's what Lucifer did. I was in a church service one time and I really didn't like the worship. And I was like, God, I really can't worship to this. I don't understand. I, I don't, I just, I don't really like this. And he said, you can't worship me without me, period. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. I uh, misspoke and I repent. <laughs> and I lifted my hands as high as I could lift them. And I threw my head back and I sung those songs as loud as I could sing them. And guess what? He showed up. Because it ain't about me, it ain't about you. We are to be washed by his water and his presence. Why? Because that's what he does over us. Ephesians 5.25, the husband is supposed to love the wife as a response to the nature of which Christ loves the church. And it says, husband, loves, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26, that the the word that Jesus might sanctify and cleanse the church of Jesus Christ, washing it with the water of the word. Not, not, not washing it by the water of emotion or by the water of sympathy and self-pity and pats on the back and it's all going to be okay. Sometimes it ain't going to be okay. But it doesn't change the power of the word. One day, at some point in history, Christianity is going to be overcome by the beast. And you're not going to be able to pat somebody on the back and go, it's going to be okay, brother. It's not going to be okay. The, 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 the system of the age is going to require your blood to pay for your, your faith. Yeah. 
But if we exist for this age, then we're going to be depressed. But if we exist for the age that's coming because we're born again by the same word of God and we're made unto eternal order, then we overcome the, the, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and loving our lives not unto death. Why? Because the power of the word has now so infused us that our testimony is his testimony. It's life no matter what death shows itself. Out of his mouth, verse 15 of Revelation 19, goes a two-edged sword. The same sword that you have access to in Ephesians 6. Same sword, guys. You ever wonder why it's called the armor of God, not the armor of the Christians? See, in the Old Testament, David couldn't wear Saul's armor. But in the New Testament, we can wear the king's armor. It actually fits. It's called God's armor. It's what God ropes himself into when he goes to battle. When he stands over us, he puts on his helmet. He puts on his, his breastplate. He pulls out his sword. It's his shield. It's his shoes. It's his peace. It's what he fights with. And he says, you have the exact same authority to wear everything I'm wearing in your circumstance, over your marriage, over your finances, over your situation. I am the Lord and this is my armor. Now wear it. That's good, good chat. Keep it coming. Some of y'all are just sitting there looking at me. <sighs> Guess what? Verse 16, he has the name on his vesture and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the word of God. The word of God is king of kings and lord of lords. What he's spoken over your circumstances, king of kings and lord of lords. If it doesn't come to pass, you hang on to it anyway. It just means you have to physically now deal with some things you weren't expecting, but so what? That's called the cross. It's okay. Just because you're dealing with it doesn't mean you're not victorious. It just means you haven't seen the victory yet, even though you've seen it by faith. You know how you know you can properly pray for your marriage when you've seen your spouse as Jesus sees them instead of how you see them. When you can see them at the feet of Jesus instead of operating in their uh, stupidity or whatever it might be, then you, have that, then you can properly pray for them. But if you're praying the problem, you're not going to get anywhere. Jesus never prayed the problem, guys. Ever. That's what we call intercession is just weeping and howling over a problem. <laughs> That's not the way Jesus prayed. You know how he prayed? He prayed what he saw beyond what he saw. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. <laughs> he saw beyond it. He saw beyond Peter's denial. He saw beyond Peter's betrayal. He saw beyond the things that they were going to do to him. He saw the resurrection. That's how you know you can pray properly for your spouse or for yourself is when you get the heart of God for the situation. Why, how do you get the heart of God for a situation? By reading his word. Ephesians 6, 17, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Sword and shield are inseparable. But it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Why? Why above all? Because faith gives the word 
power in your specific circumstance. Even though the word is true in the circumstance, it doesn't have application in your circumstance without your faith. It's not that the faith is above the word, it's that faith, the word has no access without your faith. So you need a promise first, and then when you have your promise, you hold it, no matter what you see. I was sharing a home group the other night just about how some things people come up to me like, hey, I want you to pray for so-and-so, pray for this situation in my life. And I go pray and I actually hear the word of God. I hear the word of the Lord for the situation. God shows me a vision or gives me a scripture and says, it's going to be okay. This is what's going to happen. This is, this is how it's going to end up if they, if, they, if they fall on their faces. If, this is how it's going to work. And I get this promise. I'm like, okay, Father, bring it to pass. And then every time I pray over the situation, I pray what he showed me. I don't pray the problem. And then they come back two months, three months, four months later, and they're like, oh, it's so bad. Oh, it's so, you got to pray. I'm like, no, I've already seen. You want me to pray about something he's already spoken over. You need to stand on what you've heard. And if it kills you, then it kills you. But you die in faith. Many attacks in your life are because you've never used the word of God against them. You just sit there and try to hold up under it. What happened when Jesus was tempted in the scripture? What did he use? As soon as Jesus used the word of God in Matthew 4 against the devil, the devil changed his tactic, didn't he? And when Jesus used the word of God against the devil, the devil changed his tactic again. It's not, the devil, it's not that Jesus wasn't winning. It was that he was winning so effectively, the devil had to pull back, regroup, and come at him again. Some of you are just trying to hold up and like take the abuse and take the attack and take the beating and take the oppression and take the doubt and take the fear and take the rejection and just hold up under it. No, you need to get your sword out. You need to begin to move in what God says about the situation because if you do that in faith and power, he says everything, every man will live by the word of God and that alone. And then when you begin to do that, the devil has to pull back. Well, that didn't work. And yeah, he'll regroup and come after you again. And he use the word again and again and again. And he'll keep hammering you to see if you believe it. Because the word of God has to be tested. Does this make sense? In John 6, 67, Jesus said to the 12, are you going to go away too? Because he had about thousands of people following him. They all left. He looks at his 12. He says, are you going to go away? Are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter answered him, where will we go? You alone have the word of life. Today, the church goes other places, though. They go to movies or alcoholism or weed or whatever it might, they might think is justifiable so that way they can escape because they don't have life in their life. Second Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by how we feel. You with me? <clears throat> Parable of the sower has everything to do with what? The word of God. I don't have time to get into it. I was going to get into it. I don't have time to get into it. Some fell among the wayside. Some fell among thorns. Some fell among the rocky ground. Some fell on good soil. All of it has to do with the word being spoken over people and how they received it determined the growth and the output in their life. Not whether it was given. Right now, I'm sowing the word of God over all of you. Where it lands, that's up to you. 
You don't get to rejoice because you receive the word. You rejoice because you let it come in, you believe it, and you hold on to it through the seasons and trials of life. Do you understand when he's using that seed analogy, he's talking about things that take time to grow? Winter, some, summer, spring, fall over and over and over again. It takes time, it takes time. But after a while, some people get, they don't want to wait that long. They actually believe that God established and founded Burger King. It's their way. Right now. And God's waiting to see if you're going to stay and hold on to his word that he spoke over your life. Guys, I've had things come true 20 years after God spoke them in my life. I had to wait 20 years to see some of the things that he spoke over my life. That's a long time to wait. But he's faithful. Did I want it earlier? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted it earlier just like you. First Peter 1.25, but the word of the Lord endures for forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached to you. What endures forever? Your opinion, your emotion, your circumstance, your trial. What endures for forever? The word of the Lord. John 6, 63, Jesus says, it's the spirit that makes everything alive. The flesh profits absolutely nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. My word, he says, is spirit and it's life. No wonder the enemy tries to keep you from the word of God so much through busyness, distractions, and everything else. Because Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. The devil comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. What? What does he come to kill, steal, and destroy? The word. You with me? I'm just going to read a few verses in Psalm 119. Your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Sin grows where the word is not present. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. My soul is heavy and melts for heaviness. So strengthen me according to your word. This is my comfort in my affliction, Psalm 119.50. Your word has made me alive. Psalm 119, verse 100, I understand more than all of the ancients because I keep your word. Psalm 119, 114, you are my hiding place. You are my shield because I have hope in your word. The entrance of your word brings light to my life. Psalm 119, verse 130, it gives understanding to those who do not understand. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they that love your word and nothing will offend them. Psalm 119, 30, 32, I will run the way of your commandments and then you will enlarge my heart. I will keep your word and you'll enlarge my heart. You understand what I'm saying? I was gonna give you a bunch of scriptures of just promises. There's promises that are real. Promises. Like Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord, he is with you and he goes before you. And he will not fail you and he will not forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be confused. I was going to give you a bunch of promises that are real. But you can, have, you can look those up yourself. The Lord is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He fights for you. Know that all things work to good 
to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, including your circumstances, including your trials, your past, your presence, your futures, your lack, your loss, your death, all the things that are going on in your life, all those things work for good. And does it feel like it in the moment? Which reality do you pledge allegiance to? Which kingdom do you actually believe has authority over your life? Do you understand the power of the word of God? Do you understand why we've gotten to such a degenerate place in American Christianity that nobody in the form of leadership can get up and say, you guys need to read your Bible. Oh yeah, I know that. No, you don't understand the power of the word of God. You want to be changed? Start dumping it into your mind. You will change. Play it. Play it all day long if you have to, to just to, until you can get your mind established. The best thing somebody can do with oppression, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, all these types of things is just begin to let the word of God just run through their head. It brings healing and life and comfort. It washes away the past. It heals all the wounds. It brings uh, clarity to confusion. It causes all the fog to pass away. It causes everything inside your spirit to stand up and say, hallelujah, praise his holy name. For his name is faithful and true. He is the word of God. And I am born of his bone and flesh. And by the word of God, I was made alive. Stand to your feet. Some of you may read your word every day. That does not make you immune from this message. I just spoke to you about how John the Revelator had an encounter with Jesus that he had never had before. And he was immersed in the word of God. He saw Jesus in a new element. And so those of you who are faithful in the word of God, praise the Lord. However, when he opens your eyes to see this man in a new element, you will fall on your face as though you were dead. Everything you thought you knew about him will be completely removed. And Jesus will show himself to you in a new way. That's what I want. I want to see him in a new way. Not just to see him, not just to worship him, but to believe him. We just saw that it's possible to worship and to see, and some still doubt it. So I just want to give you a moment. Can you put some music on just for a second? Just, I just want to give you a moment. If there's areas in your life where you realize, and I, I don't know a person in here who isn't guilty, where the word of God has not had Reign over your emotions, reign over your circumstances, reign over your identity. That even while worshiping and even while seeing him, you, you doubt, you doubt, you doubt whether God loves you, you doubt whether the word's true, you doubt whether your, your spouse is going to come back to the Lord, you doubt whether something good's, you, you doubt about your finances, you doubt about your health, you know, you just, you just, you doubt. Just close your eyes. And just lift your hands and just say with me, Father, forgive me for a heart of unbelief. And I ask that you let that mustard seed faith arise inside of me that you put there because the word of God says that you've given every man the measure of faith. So the measure that you've given me, I'm asking for it to grow. But faith doesn't grow without fire. Because your word says that the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took three measures of meal and she put it inside of the bread, 
and it began to rise. And it takes heat, and it takes difficulty, and it takes trial to let the yeast, the faith, rise up inside of us. So, Father, I ask that you just, just heal the hurts and wounds in everybody's minds here against themselves. They're spoken against themselves, against others. Others spoke against them, Father, and I just pray that you forgive them for an evil heart of unbelief. That God wouldn't look at us and wonder why we don't believe. Father, I pray that you enlarge our hearts so that we can open ourselves more to your word. That, Father, that we would hold fast the, the teachings of, of Jesus Christ, knowing that they're not just something we understand, but they are designed to be what we are. So, Father, I pray for a release over your people, a love for the word, a love for Jesus, a love to come back to revive the word of God and the people of God. Lord, that we would begin to stand and you would use us to deliver that instrument of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the word of the Lord into our circumstances, into our marriage, into our city, our nation, and our world, into this government, that we wouldn't just politicize everything, but we would attack it from the realm in which we are over with in authority. We thank you, Father, for every heart here. We ask that you bless them and keep them and make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them, lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Bless the food, bless our fellowship, bless our comings and goings for the rest of this afternoon. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen.